1: Not long ago, global leaders were introduced to a fresh lens through which the fight against poverty could be viewed called comprehensive security. This innovative model identifies seven areas in which a society must achieve reasonable success in order to thrive. Chief among them is food security.
0: Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, a program made in cooperation between Q Ideas and Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot with Gabe, and that clip you just heard was from Dan Clark of Convoy of Hope. And Gabe, coming up on this show, we'll hear that talk that he gave recently at a Q conference around the issue of solving the problem of hunger globally.
2: In this particular talk, we're going to be encouraged. We're going to be encouraged to hear how that problem is being solved, some of the most creative ways that food is starting to get to the people who need it most. But what I think you'll find most interesting is that this work is something that each of us can participate in. It's not just something we have to rely on other entities or governments to do, but each of us has a role to play.
0: And again, that talk coming up later in the show. A closely associated crisis is that of clean water. And both problems, lack of food and lack of clean water, are huge problems. But Christians like you are thinking well and seeking to advance good by tackling these issues. So in the first part of the show, we're going to hear an interview Gabe did a few years ago at a Q conference with Scott Harrison of Charity Water, an organization working hard to provide clean water to the needy. Let's listen in.
2: Scott, I mean, catch us up. Tell us just how this whole
3: vision and life began for you to move into this calling to affect the world the way you have. Yeah, I mean, it's an unlikely story, uh, maybe started out as that, that, uh, cliche Christian kid growing up in the church playing piano in Sunday school on uh, taking care of a mom who was sick and then at 18 I just went nuts I mean I lost the plot I completely rebelled I moved to New York City I grew my hair to my shoulders and I wanted to pursue sex drugs and rock and roll. I wanted to uh, become a nightclub promoter. I wanted to become the king of New York City nightlife. And over the next 10 years, uh, I traveled very far from that foundation of faith or morality, uh, working at 40 different nightclubs, you know, selling $20 vodka sodas to people who would line up outside to get in. And after a decade of that, I found myself uh, morally bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt. Uh, I was using drugs. I was addicted to pornography and gambling and uh, smoking and drinking. And just uh, my life, um, I was rotting inside. And uh, I came back to faith in a pretty radical way. Asked myself the question, what would the exact opposite of my life look like? Huh. Not a pivot, not a you know, 20 or 50 degree turn. Radical. 180. What would it yeah. look like to walk exactly in the other direction? Mm. And I wound up selling almost everything that I owned and joining humanitarian mission in post-war Liberia. And I spent two years there uh, with an amazing team of of volunteer doctors and surgeons. And I came across the water crisis. I saw kids drinking dirty water for the first time in my life. And I'd been selling bottles of water in nightclubs for 10 bucks, people who wouldn't even open the water. And there was just, I had to do something about it. Living there for almost two years, seeing uh, the extreme poverty caused by bad water, I came home on a mission to to try to end this problem in my my lifetime.
2: Well, and I've always loved this about your story. And for those who are watching now and you're thinking, man, I know somebody who's in the kind of life journey that you were in in your, your earlier life that's seen radical transformation. It's encouraging. It brings hope. But as you moved into this, I remember first, one of the first meetings we had was at a Sundance film festival mm-hmm. oh my many, gosh. many years ago. Years and ago, you were yeah. selling bottles of water yeah. for $20. Yeah. So you doubled the price from what you were selling them in yeah. the clubs. And that was your and way to begin money, like raising money to start yeah. helping people get water. Why did you
3: choose water? Uh, you know, Water, if you really think about what your life might be like if you didn't have clean water, every, everything would change. Um, and, and the problem is a massive Human problem. So one out of every ten people alive on the planet right now is drinking bad water. It's 660 million people, and you know those numbers are hard to process. You know we we almost numb out when we when we hear. A statistic that big. So, you know, for the last 12 years now, I, I've been able to meet some of these people. Uh, I mean, I've lived in villages where, where 13-year-old girls have hung themselves because they spilled water after an eight-hour walk, and they just didn't want to go back anymore. I've, I've seen women attacked by hyenas, raped on the way to these water sources. It's a, it's a terrible problem. Um, you just one, one stat around disease. 52% of all the disease. Throughout the developing world, throughout all these countries where we're working, half the people are sick because of bad water and a lack of sanitation. So, you know, water means health. It means education. It gives time back to women and girls. They're allowed to go to school if they don't have to walk for water. It's just this transformational, basic human need Mm -hmm. that yet today in an age of affluence and technology, one out of every 10 humans doesn't have this thing doesn't have this basic need to, to be healthy to, to live a life that, that is thriving or flourishing
2: yeah so this was and it's strategic. a solvable
3: problem that's the great thing Gabe I mean yeah. we know how to do this yeah. we actually know how to bring clean water to every single person on earth there's no one alive today where we're scratching our head saying how would we help them yeah we haven't done it yet. We haven't created the will and the resources and the energy to fully solve the problem. But we know how to do it.
2: What are some of the ways you do it? I mean, when you show up in places where they don't have clean water, what, what are the ways? Is it wells? Is it multiple it's a bunch ways? Of things.
3: Yeah, there's no silver bullet. There's no one-size-fits-all uh, solution. Yeah. But we've used 13 different technologies now, wow. from digging or drilling wells to building rainwater harvesting systems to capping mountain springs to bio-sand filters to carbon yeah. UV. Uh, I mean, if your solution- agnostic, you can help every single person.
2: Well, and that's what I love is is you solve this problem, and you started to invite a lot of people in to to help you solve this problem, which is why maybe there's 13 technologies now, and you're working with some of the most innovative people in Silicon Valley and beyond to help solve these problems. And they're all getting on board. And and what I've found so fascinating and inspiring, and especially tonight as we're talking about this idea of working together with people who might be different than us, that's the story of your organization. You go into these communities, and you start from scratch. I mean, you start with tribal leaders sometimes. Sometimes it's the community leaders. And you're actually... uh, Learning how to work with people who are completely different than you, believe differently than you may, maybe actually hate what you believe, yeah. and yet together you're
3: solving problems. How does that work? Well, that's been the beauty. I mean, when you have an issue like clean drinking water for the planet, right, for, for everyone on earth, uh, people can come together of, of disparate faiths, of different, disparate political views and say, I can actually Agree about that. I mean, kids should have clean water to drink. Humans should have clean water to drink. And it's allowed us now to invite in over a million people from over 100 countries to say, I can do something about this. I actually can solve this problem. And, you know, Charity Water has had a unique business model from day one where hundred percent of all the public donations go directly to these projects. And we just, we saw a cynicism. We saw a skepticism out there. We learned so many people said they didn't trust charities mm. because they didn't know where the money went. And we said, well, what if all your money would go? Would you then give? And, and the stories, Gabe, are amazing. I mean, we have, we have Jewish synagogues that'll write us letters and say, this is the first non-Jewish organization we've ever given to, yeah. but it's too compelling of an issue it's too compelling of a, of a transparent business model. You know, I remember during Ramadan, uh, Muslim school kids from Dubai sent in $60,000. Mm. You know, the Mormon church, uh, our, our biggest donor who's given almost $20 million is, it, is an atheist. Thinks wow. I pray to a figment of my imagination. Mm. You know, but I, I, when, when I started this, I just thought, if we're going to solve a problem this big, why should you have to believe what I believe? Yeah. to work at the organization or to give to the organization or volunteer. You know, why should you have to do what I do on a Sunday? You know, this is bigger than that. We can invite everybody to bring the best of themselves, to bring their time, their talent, their passion, their empathy to this problem and yeah. build a very, very big tent. And that's allowed me to kind of keep my, yeah, I get to live out my theology or my faith through the work. Yeah. But there's a separation yeah you know maybe five or ten percent of the people at charity water might do what I do on a sunday, yeah. and that's the, I celebrate that yeah you know that's the exciting thing, maybe five or ten percent of our donors
2: mhm man it's It's cool to hear you describe it. I think sometimes people myself included, we can get hung up on on saying, well if we're not telling everybody every single thing we believe yeah then we can't be friends or we can't work together or we can't solve problems because maybe we're compromising something. I think theologically what I hear you describing is that you understand God's glorified when we serve others, when we provide clean water and help somebody have a flourishing life. Dirty
3: water is illegal in heaven. Yeah. Okay? No woman is walking eight hours with 40 right. pounds of disgusting water. No woman is getting raped on the way to a water hole or, or holding a child in her arms dying of diarrhea. So that's illegal. Yeah. So if we can bring the kingdom of God to earth through all people yeah. getting involved, both working at the organization, giving to the organization. That's yeah. enough for me. That's, yeah. that's what yeah. I feel like I'm called to. Yeah. There, are, there are other people that are called to different things. Yeah.
2: Well, your book, Thirst, man, has just been so good. It's called A Story of Redemption, Compassion. And a mission to bring clean water to the world. You've heard a lot about that in the last few minutes. The thing I found fascinating is, is you talk about something I'm sure some people are feeling, which is how do you give yourself to work that feels like? I mean, you just stated I think 660 yeah, million daunting, right? Right, don't have water. You've helped 8.4 million. Amazing. But you still look at this it's 178. <laughs> 178. How do you stay in it? How do you do this work that feels like it has no end?
3: Yeah, you just have to keep immersing yourself in, in the optimism and the, the stories of hope. I mean, I've now been to 69 countries. I've, I've been to Ethiopia 30 separate times, which is a place where we've worked a lot. And, and I have these moments, Gabe, where you'll meet one woman or one family and say the whole thing would have been worth it for them. Mm. Right, this one yeah. village that yeah. is going from the disgusting swamp, watching their kids die, to clean water, and then it's oh wow, it's twenty nine thousand villages, it's eight million people. Mm. So you know, I, I love this phrase: "Do not be afraid of work that has no end." And yeah. I believe if your work is ending needless suffering, if it's bringing the best of yourself to to help others, then it is an endless work, yeah. and I think that's okay. Embrace that. Yeah, yeah. And and you're just your looking and you're you're giving of yourself, and and you look back one day and say, oh my gosh, we've actually done a lot.
2: Yeah. Well, I know tonight we're all inspired by your story, and I hope it plants seeds in the imagination of, of everybody involved tonight in just thinking about what's the one thing you can do, not be overwhelmed by the massive nature of the problem, mm-hmm. but to just take mm-hmm. that next step forward and use your gifts. You used your gifts early on. That, that was club promotion. I'm still promoting. Yeah, you're I'm promoting. Just promoting you just different. changed it to something <laughs> else, and it's beautiful. So thank you for being with us tonight, Scott. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks again for listening. This is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, and we hope you enjoyed Gabe's conversation there with Scott Harrison of Charity Water. You can hear this and other great talks on our Q Media platform at Qideas.org. And, you know, we hope that talks like these encourage you, as we often say, to think well and advance good, to be an active part of addressing needs both of your community and those of the world. And that's why Gabe and his team are doing things like the annual Q Conference in the spring, as well as Q Commons, which is less than two weeks away. Gabe will talk more about that later in the show. But first, Gabe, as we continue to help our listeners think about ways to advance good, I know you're excited about our featured talk this week. Tell us about it
2: delivering this talk is Dan Clark. He's a great communicator, passionate about the idea of helping people discover their talent, their resources, and knowing how to leverage that for others. He serves as a vice president of partner development at Convoy of Hope, which is a faith-based humanitarian organization that alleviates poverty, disease, and hunger around the world. He's been there for 15 years, but formerly was a pastor. And what I love about this particular talk is how simple he makes it, how encouraged you feel when you realize how close we are to solving a problem that has existed throughout multiple centuries. And so let's listen in. Let's be encouraged. Let's see how we can play a role in being a part of solving the hunger crisis.
1: Best-selling author Simon Sinek he sparked a thought revolution of sorts when he authored his book about inspirational leadership called Start With Why. I'm sure many of you have read it. In it, he asserted that people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And what you do simply proves what you believe. When you examine the ministry of Convoy of Hope, whether you are focused just on the international initiatives, feeding kids, empowering women, training farmers, or whether you take into account Convoy's entire body of work, there is a common thread that's woven into every story, and there's a fundamental issue that we are always addressing. And that's hunger, the lack of nutritious food. A few years ago, I started to ask, why? Or more specifically, why should we care about hunger? And this question, it wasn't from an emotional or a spiritual angle. Like probably everybody in this room, I got lots of reasons to check those boxes. This was an intellectual inquiry. You might say it was a question of stewardship. Of all the causes that we could invest our energy and our resources in, of all the causes that the church could get behind to help alleviate the suffering that we see in the world, why choose this one? Why not housing or health or jobs? All great causes for sure. So why had Convoy of Hope dialed in on hunger? Of all places, it was in a room full of farmers in Kansas City that the answer started to come. Attending a gathering with the pioneer of our agricultural training program, I began to learn about the impact of food on the development of society. And what I learned, well, (laughs) it made me want to hug a farmer. Consider this. In the United States, less than 2% of us are directly involved in the production of our own food. But it wasn't always this way. There was a time thousands of years ago when we were all hunters or gatherers, until around 8,000 BC when something transformational occurred. It was arguably the most significant development in the history of the human race. We learned how to farm, how to produce food on a mass scale, And the result was the birth of civilization. Humankind would finally emerge from the Stone Age. Incredibly, this occurred on four continents at the same time. Historians, they call it the Neolithic Revolution. Others of us, we might call it divine intervention. Nevertheless, food changed everything. For the first time, countless people could spend their lives pursuing something more than just their next meal. And this pattern, it would repeat itself. In the 12th century, a simple collar enabled horses to pull iron plows harder, faster, and longer than oxen could. The resulting increase in the food supply, it helped lead us to the Renaissance that ushered us out of the Dark Ages. In the 1700s, mechanical reapers, seed drills, fertilizers, these things, they led to dramatic increases in food production, and this in turn helped usher in a new era of prosperity that we know as the Industrial Revolution. You may already know that up until that time, the vast majority of the world's population labored in agriculture. Today, in most industrialized nations, only one person out of 50 works in farming, But in Ethiopia, for example, 82% of the population still labors in agriculture, and the majority of those are subsistence farmers. They're still living as if it were thousands of years ago. If not their time, food is costing the poor what little they earn. In the United States, the average person, we spend 9.7% of our disposable income on food costs. But in places like Haiti, And in the Philippines, the impoverished will spend as much as 60% of their incomes on food. Now, certainly, the war against poverty has many complexities. Not long ago, global leaders were introduced to a fresh lens through which the fight against poverty could be viewed called comprehensive security. This innovative model identifies seven areas in which a society must achieve reasonable success in order to thrive. Chief among them is food security. Whereas economic security refers to the steady flow of goods and services and political security is focused on the rule of law, food security is the condition whereby all people have physical and economic access to safe, sufficient, and nutritious food. The results of the scoring are commonly expressed through a radar graph, which demonstrates the interconnectedness among the challenges to success. The premise of this model is that each area has the potential to pull the rest into positive or negative territory. Now, here's where it gets good. Research into the connectedness among these seven areas found strikingly that food security, is the only area directly associated with every other aspect of comprehensive security. To put it simply, improvements in the area of food security positively impact every other sector. When you solve the hunger problem, you free entire societies to focus their energy and attention on other challenges and opportunities. Just just imagine with me for a moment, What advances and innovations have yet to be made because their would-be inventors are still preoccupied with finding their next meal? What if Thomas Edison or Albert Einstein, Madame Curie or Jonas Salk or Bill Gates, what if they had been confined to a field instead of their laboratories? What would the world look like today? What if Billy Graham never made it to the pulpit? Now look, I get it. To the person on the street, Feeding all the hungry kids in the world, it probably seems like an idealistic and, and unattainable goal. But a recent report released by the Barna Group confirmed what we already suspected to be true, that roughly 70% of the American public has no idea about the progress that's been made. They have no idea that in the last 40 years, the number of children dying of hunger and malnutrition has been cut in half. Friends, this is not a losing battle. The good news The news that most people have never heard is that we, the collective we, we're winning. Check this out. From 1990 to 2015, more than 1 billion people were lifted out of extreme poverty. Isn't that incredible? In just the last 36 months of that period, in just the last three years, More than 200 million people were lifted out of extreme poverty. The rate of progress, it's accelerating. Another way to look at it, in 1990, roughly 50% of the population in developing countries were living below the poverty line. Today, that number is 14%. It's awesome. Based on these trends... Global leaders believe, and this isn't Dan Clark saying it, this isn't Convoy of Hope saying it, these are leaders who sit on a very high perch and have a very informed perspective. They are telling us that based on the progress of recent decades, that we have an opportunity to eradicate hunger as we know it by the year 2030. Can you just imagine that? Wouldn't that be incredible? Now, yes, we live in a broken world, And there will always be forces that conspire to perpetuate the problem. Conflict, civil war, corruption, needs will arise as a result. But the systemic cycles of poverty and hunger, they can be broken. The proof, it's in the progress. And that wave of momentum creates an incredible opportunity for the church. A very prominent business leader was recently speaking to our board and executive team Playing off of Jim Collins' book, he was talking about doing good and doing great. I think all of us here, we would agree that feeding a hungry child is noble and good. Doing it in a way that introduces that child to Jesus, that's great. But what if there was a third level, a greater, that by leaning into the problem with such focused intensity that in a decade or two, it doesn't exist anymore. Instead, there would be an entire generation of young people who have been touched by the power of kindness, God's kindness through us, and they are now motivated and working hard to change their own nations. That is the dream. That's our prayer. And by all of us working together with God's favor, we believe it can happen. God bless you.
2: So you heard Dan say this, but we have the opportunity to eradicate hunger by the year 2030. That's pretty amazing. Almost a decade from now, with the right strategy, the right resources, the right thinking, But just amazing to think about how much solving the food problem starts to contribute to solving so many other issues and concerns in our communities. I love it when people think well. I love it when they think well about the one domino that we could touch and set off that would actually start to help our communities flourish and experience the restoration, the rebuilding, all of the things that we know God desires for our communities, for people to flourish. Now, as you think about Your role in your own community maybe hunger isn't the crisis that you're faced with but there's something else happening in your city that needs to be addressed well on october 24th it's a compelling night it's called q commons if you've never been to a q commons event this happens once a year on this one night tens of thousands of people gather in small communities large communities in homes around the dinner table but also in churches as well as in public spaces And a two-hour evening is committed to better understanding how can we as Christians be a part of creating a better future in our communities. Go to QCommons.com to see more about this. See if there's one in your city. If there is, attend that. Invite your friends out. Get a ticket for this. You're going to hear Malcolm Gladwell, who's a New York Times bestselling author, whose book just released right now called Talking to Strangers, 65,000 books sold in the first week. People love hearing what Malcolm has to say about our world, about understanding it at a deeper level than just the superficial. And so on this particular evening, he's going to share an 18-minute talk on that. Francis Chan going to be talking about what it means to build true community. And Rebecca Lyons is going to share about rhythms of renewal. How do we live in such a way that we can operate from a place of strength so that we have something to offer to those in our community who need help, who need support? And you'll also hear from local talks. If you're in a public setting attending Q Commons, you'll hear local leaders addressing your crisis, addressing what is the issue in our city that needs to be exposed, what are the ways we can creatively be a part of solving problems together. And so it's not only a great night of education, but you're going to meet the people in your city, in your community, in your neighborhood who are thinking about these things, who care about these things, but maybe have had nowhere to express that or nowhere to come together and find others of like mind. And guys, you know the power of like-mindedness, of coming together, of seeing that you're not alone in the way that you think about the world, but that there's others that you can carry this with, that you can go shoulder-to-shoulder with and solve problems and be creative and collaborate. It's a beautiful and an amazing thing. And so I hope you'll join us at Q Commons. Go to qcommons.com, learn more, register today to attend one in your city or to host one in your church or host it at your home. We can't wait for all of us around the world to come together on this one night and think well together and advance good.